we're going to read, and then we will pray and spend some time in God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, as Paul concludes, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. And that is how Paul concludes the letter by saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to read your words. And if we understand what the scripture says about the scripture, then we believe that you have truly spoken to us. That your spirit recorded what the church would need throughout all generations and we are blessed to hear these words and so now father we pray that you would give understanding what happens now is that a frail human being attempts to speak to other frail human beings and to explain the mind and heart of God on a number of subjects. And so we pray, Father, that you would clear away our sinfulness. We know that in the gospel you give us the righteousness of Christ, his perfection credited to our account. You give it to us as a gift, but that does not make us perfect. And so there may be errors in judgment as I speak. And there may be errors as we listen. We pray that we would absorb the truth of the text as beloved children of a perfect father. And that we would take the best of what's said. That the spirit would confirm what is good and right and true. And then we would go and live and act out what we have heard here 
because of your grace, not to earn your grace, and for your glory, because that's what we've been created for. Father, we pray that as a church, we would rest in the fact that we are saved by the work of Jesus, but that we have been called to a great work, and that we ought not let anything interfere with that, but instead we ought to be busy about the work you've called us to for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many times at the, at the end of, of meetings, the, the meeting kind of trails off, the energy's gone, it's like, let's just end this thing already, right? You know, but there's still you know, 20 minutes of agenda left on, on the page, and everybody's checked out. Um, the same is true of, of, of books and presentations. Uh, Steve Jobs, the inventor of the iPhone, made famous his way of presenting, which is he would always save the best for last. And he would say, oh, there's one more thing. And it was important. Uh, we have a tendency to, to check out of, of things, right? But if you know that something good is coming, if something good is going to be present, you'll, you'll stay in there, right? We might think that the end of the letter is not important, but there is good in here for us. Uh, Steve Jobs, 10 years ago, I believe it is, uh, made the, oh, one more thing line famous with about uh, 15 to 20 minutes to go in his presentation. He reached down into his pocket and pulled out the very first iPhone, and the internet went crazy because he just spent all this time presenting all this important stuff, and everybody thought, what could he have left to say? And he shocked and surprised them, and the iPhone has changed the, the, the world, the way that we think and the way that we communicate. Some for good, some for bad. Paul is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the coming of the king. He's talking to a church that is troubled and discouraged and engaging in some good but some bad behavior. And he's saying the king will return until then, live this way. And he has talked about a number of important things. He's talked about how they are to live through and deal with persecution from the outside. How they're to deal with doctrinal error on the inside. How they're to deal with false teachings about the return of, of Christ. And then he talks about the work that they're to do. As those who have some experience listening to sermons, churchgoers, we can, we can think that our job is to pray and to speed the word. Right? We pray. That's our part. We speed the word by, by giving to uh, international missions and to the cause of Bible translation. And those are good things. The analogy that I was thinking of, speed the word, right? Give the word free course. My, my wife would often take wax paper to the park with her when our, our kids went. You know what this is for, right? You, you rub the metal slide with the wax paper. Done this before, right? You speed up the slide, right? All that sliding up and down slows the slide, sliding down, sorry. All that sliding slows the slide down. But if you put a little wax on it, man, you ought to see those kids. They come flying off the end of that thing, 
you know, she'd come home, she's got to put a little too much wax on the slide. Your son, like, did a pinwheel as he was coming off the slide. Paul is saying, speed the word. And this is what John talked about last week, about, about how it's our job to remain engaged and to make sure that the word is going forth. But we can check out then and think that all of the important work is going to be done by the few, by the experts. This isn't what John said. This is what I think we often internalize. That it's the pastors who do the work. That it's the missionaries who do the work. But Paul says, just one more thing. And, and he's going to come around. He's going to deal with, with one of the central problems in the church. But he's not going to be all negative on them and just slam them. He's going to attempt to convert what they are struggling with into an asset and a strength, and hopefully change the church. So we're going to look at six verses first, uh, verses 6 through 12. I sum this up under the theme that Paul says that Christians are to be hard at work, not hardly working. He says this in verse 6, We command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us. And so he speaks to them a command. This command comes to the brothers. It's endearing. This is not stern. This is not impersonal. And he's saying, he's saying, guys, you know, second letter I've written to you. He wrote them a letter. He sent it to them. God heard a good report, but there were some things that weren't in place. And so he sends this second letter back. Guys, guys, listen up. Pay attention. This is important. I'm telling you this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus builds the church in his name. The apostles did miracles in the name of Jesus. He's saying here that he issues this command with Jesus' authority, for Jesus' glory, for the sake of the mission that Jesus gave the church. So let's open the door on the way my homework sometimes, right? I will say to a kid, I'll say, hey, go outside and tell your brother that he's got to come in. You know, he's got to take a shower, got to get dressed because he's got to go somewhere in and hour and the kid who I send on the message on the mission this is why I I had multiple kids right you know so that I don't have to do all the stuff that I don't want to do anymore I have these messengers that I can send and so I send that that's not true Um, I send I send the messenger and they come back in and many times the messenger will say he said no (laughs) and so then I say this did you tell them dad said right you tell them dad said like they're not gonna listen to you kid right because you are a peer you have no authority in the situation so many times i will shape the message like this go outside and tell your brother dad said to come inside and take a shower now they have learned and they abuse this principle They will say, they will go outside and they will say, Dad said it's my turn. (laughs) They'll be like, really? Dad has an opinion on this? You know, and they've also learned that, you know, they'll come in, they'll say, did you say? Anyway, um, 
the authority, it's complicated, right? These are the struggles. The command here is given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not one day, one way of dealing with a, a defective view of the world in the church. This is the command of Jesus to the church. He says that within the church, those who walk in idleness, this is not idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of, of something which claims to be God. Idleness is lacking in purposeful activity. Lacking in forward motion. Lacking in, uh, in, in progress. Right When you park your car, you put your car in park, and you're sitting there running your engine in a parking lot, it's called idling. You're just, you're just sitting there, right? You are burning gas, but you're not doing anything. And Paul says that if a Christian is walking in idleness, right, that's a, a bit of an oxymoron if you understand that we're to be walking in holiness and to be growing in grace and to be active in, in, in ministry of the word and of prayer and of loving people. If we're walking in idleness, then we are living counter to the purpose for which we were created. Keep away Paul says, from anyone who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. What is that tradition that they were given? They were given a mission. Jesus teaches the church that their mission is to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And so they're to relate properly to God in love and love the Lord, and I want to do what pleases him, and to love man, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second great commandment. And then the commission given to the church is to make disciples. The relational mission of God, love God and love man, and then the redemptive mission of God, bring people to Christ that they might be saved through the gospel by the power of God, and then formed into children who walk according to God's will and God's way and God's plan. And those who are not about that business are idle. They're not really going anywhere. Paul warns Timothy that some learn to be idlers. 1 Timothy 5.13 They go about from house to house Right? There's no purposeful activity here. They go from house to house, I say carrying only a spoon. It's all they bring with them. And they're, they're not only idlers, right? They're not producing anything of value, but they also then become gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. The only purposeful thing that they do is use that spoon to stir up trouble. Right? To talk about stuff not purposeful stuff but stuff what did you think about that worship song that we sang what did you what did you think about this do you think we ought to do this or that what about this person did you see what that person was wearing what about this what about that right stirring things up there's an old saying and whenever there's an old saying it's worth Considering and asking, should it stick around? I think this is one that's good. The Bible 
doesn't say it, but it can be useful. The saying is that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Paul would tell the Christian that they are to be hard at work about the mission of the church. Loving God, loving man, and making disciples. If we are not involved in those things, we will get involved in things that cause trouble. Be hard at work, Paul says, producing something of value. Verse 7, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you an example of our, in ourselves, to give you an example to imitate. They set the example when they were among the Thessalonians that leadership doesn't mean being served by others. It means serving. It means working hard. It means being about the business and the mission that the church was given. Not sitting back and being the professional and having other people wait on you hand and foot. My very first day at major printing in uh, Union, New Jersey, I met my boss and I was a little scared. I was um, 21 years old and I don't think I had ever met anyone that old. He had, and I grew up in the church, he was like, uh, and I, I'd, I'd met people who were older before, but this guy, I was like, man, you are walking and functioning and everything, you look old. He had. He, had, he, has, he has gone to be with the Lord, so he's not going to ever listen to this and be like, what did you say? Right? He, had, he had liver spots and receded gums and gray arm hair, like lots of it. And he was thin. And he, he, would, he would smoke these cigarettes that the ash would get so long on them, and I'd be like, you got to flick that. Like, you're going to light this building on fire, you know? What is up? And I'm pretty sure there were like no smoking rules in businesses by this point. But man, he ran this business and you would never complain about this. And so often when he was talking to me, I'd have like smoke coming. It was like being in a cartoon. And I thought, man, this is going to be an experience. But you know what? This guy was not a lazy sit back CEO. He was not the kind of person who built a company and then said, you do this. He got the product out. I was, I was the, the bindery guy, the finisher, right? I would cut the product, right? I would staple the booklets, fold them, put them together, wrap them, load them in boxes, write up the delivery slips, put them on the truck, and then take them to the place and unload them and talk to the customers and say, do you, do you like this? And then I'd bring feedback back to the, to the office. And John would do every single thing that I was supposed to do right there with me. He was the boss. And he would come over to me in the morning. He'd be like, what do you need help with today? We need to, we need to cut this. And he would run that thing. I just, I couldn't imagine. Like, like you, he was, he was in his mid-80s, I believe, at the time. And he was just running this giant cutter, you know, with a four-foot blade on it, cutting five and 600 pieces of paper at a time. Like, it's a scary machine I used to have nightmares about. He would make deliveries. He would carry boxes upstairs. 
And you know what? When I would feel a little lazy, I'd glance over and I'd see John working, and I'd be like, man, I need to get back to work. Look at him. Look at him go. He did anything that was required, and he taught me how to work hard. Paul didn't say, serve me, I'm the leader. I have authority. He served and worked hard and set an example to the church of working hard. I'm reminded also of the example of Jesus, who said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, waited on hand and foot, though he had that right, didn't he? King of the universe, creator of everything, could have said, serve me. But instead, the Bible says that he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The organizational chart of the church should have Jesus at the top, the greatest, the savior, the servant. But it is equally right to turn that chart upside down and to say that those who are greatest are the ones who serve the most people. We cannot outserve Jesus, but we can follow his example and serve. Paul wasn't idle. He didn't sit back and do nothing. He didn't take things from others. He worked hard. He worked hard. We were created by God to work. And we were created to work hard. It was a good thing that God created when he created the world. He created man to work and to find joy in his work and to glorify God through his work, to create value in the world. When we work, when you do your job, you are hopefully connecting with how you create value in the world how you're doing something which is good. Now you might say, like, is there good that's created when you are like a fast food worker? Oh yes, there is. Particularly, right, if you work at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Or if you work at Jersey Mike's, right? There are times where I question some of their judgment. They're like, do you want bacon on this sandwich? I'm like, are you kidding? You want to ruin my sandwich by not putting bacon on it? You know, check yourself, child. You're creating a good thing. The geniuses at Apple built this laptop that I bought in 2011 that just gave up the ghost yesterday, the hard drive. I bought a new one. I am going to bring this thing back to life because I do have that degree of, of power over this piece of electronics. But I had probably five laptops before I bought that, they all broke, they were junk, they fell apart, this thing is good. God put genius into the mind of man, they, they built this thing, think about it. That, that 200 years ago, right, Americans were, were, uh, were, were running around, you know, building out the, the, the frontier. And now we're like building these amazing machines into the world. They're, they're doing good, they're creating. Work is good. 
It produces good in the world. And so we ought to be about the task of, of doing something which brings value into the world. Maybe part of the reason why you struggle in your job, if you do struggle, is that you don't see how what you're doing connects with the good which God designs work to create in the world. And if you can't find that, maybe it's time to like check out and find something fulfilling to do. Maybe it's not that you're not good at your job. Maybe your job's not good, right? You know? Think, think about, think about, think through that. Many times we don't think work is good because work is hard. Well, I believe that, 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 that God calls us to do hard things and to attempt difficult tasks, but he did not create the world with toil. Toil and, and tedium are part of work because of the fall, even though work is part of creation. There is a laziness that, that lives in our heart that says, because this is difficult, I'm going to do the easier thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wimp out and not do the hard thing that I've been called to. We're called to, I'm getting ahead of myself, we're called to a spiritual work in the church as well, to look at each other and to say, in love and in care for this family that I'm part of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look around and as I interact with people, not go and looking for trouble, but as I, as I interact with people and I see that maybe somebody is up to no good, right, they're not positively connected, creating some good in the world somewhere. Instead, they're idle. I'm going to, in obedience to 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to admonish the idol. And I'm going to say, hey, you, get about doing something good. God created you with talents and abilities and skills, and you ought to apply them to the mission of the church and the assignment that you've been given. Be about being good in the world and producing good. No generation that has ever lived, this is what I believe, will struggle with this battle like we will right now. The technology is so overwhelming. You could literally sit, I don't know if this is literal or not, but I'm going to use the analogy. Uh, correct me later if I'm, if I'm wrong, if this is the wrong use of Literal. You could spend the rest of your life watching all of the television that's ever been created on your phone, right? You, could, you can just tune into Netflix and be endlessly distracted. You could just scroll endlessly on Facebook and comment on stuff and spend your entire life doing that, right? They will find your mummified self in your easy chair and you'll, like, they'll, the time of death, you know, last comment right there. It's possible. We have, we have created a system where it is possible for everybody to permanently check out and just be entertained. I believe ultimately it will not be fulfilling. And as a culture, we will, we will have to deal with this overwhelming boredom that is coming upon us. The answer is right in front of us, that we're to be about doing good. And so I believe it's important as a Christian to understand the purpose of our lives as believers to glorify God, 
to walk in holiness, to grow in grace, to, to be involved in the process that the theologians would call renovation of our soul, where we grow in faith and love and perseverance and we embrace suffering and we walk in faithfulness, but also then to say, how do we express love towards God in the way that God has commanded it? And often in the Bible, God says, love others, right? If you say that you love God who you've not seen, but you don't love your brother who you have seen, can you say that the love of God is in you? That's uh, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John. John Render would know where it is because he's the quote guy, but I'm just kind of running off memory here. I didn't plan on saying that, but it's true. That, that we express our love towards God by the way that we love others. And so we have to embrace our calling as believers. What did God create me in this time, in this place for? To walk in holiness and to love him and to love others. And then we embrace a different kind of calling, which is our vocation. And we can glorify God in our vocation wherever we are. Parentheses, unless that which we are doing is expressly immoral. Anyway, moving on. Um, being a plumber, being a salesman, a repairman, a hairstylist, a law enforcement officer, a teacher, these things are good. And when we work hard at them and we're good at the task which we have, have, have found as our vocational calling, and then we also embrace our mission of making disciples and loving others, we will be hard at work and we will find joy in doing what God has created us for. It is contrary to the purpose for which God created us to then say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to engage the mission of the church. I'm going to spread trouble. And the church, Paul says, ought to mark those folks out and to move them out of influence. A difficult process. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Verse 10, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If anyone is not willing to work, let him eat not eat. What is, what is Paul talking about here? I believe that there were those who were in the church who were doing nothing productive, who were not contributing to the church in any way, and yet were living off of the goodwill of the church. The church was paying their own way because Jesus was coming any minute, and they were just not about doing anything good. And so Paul says, let them be willing to work. Don't put them on the register or the role of the church and feed them if they have no intention or will to work. Now, let me just add some caveats there. Not willing is different from not able, okay? Not willing, not able, totally different. There are some who struggle with this, maybe because of their age or because of the stage of their life. You know, the mom who's at home saying, what am I producing in the world? Mom, you are raising the next generation. That is good work. People say, does your wife work? I'm like, <laughs> you know, from the minute the first kid wakes up till the minute that the last one goes to sleep and even beyond that. She's the hardest working person that I know. 
Yes, she works. Oh, did you mean like what does she do? Uh, you know, that's, that's different. Anyway, sermon over. Moving on. The church should help those in trouble, but many times an opportunity to work fixes many problems. When I was a young pastor, there was this couple in the, in the church where I grew up who every day it felt like they were calling me or coming over to the church and to visit and to talk about this relational problem and that relational problem. And my senior pastor, uh, he pulled me aside, my mentor, Mike, and he was like, this is what you need to tell them. Say, this is your overriding priority, the two of you. Get jobs. Amen. Your job is not to work on your relationship all the time, every minute. Like, who's constantly nuancing everything that's said and trying to get your relationship perfectly perfect. Go and put in a full eight hours and you will come home tired. You'll be happy to see each other. You know, you will celebrate as you eat food which you, which you can pay for yourself instead of living at home with your parents, you know. And they got jobs and then they broke up and now they're happily married to other people. <laughs> many times an opportunity to work fixes many problems. That solution is not always what, what we're working for. Sometimes, you know, and, and I've had successful marital counseling incidents where, anyway, yeah, moving on. Um, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's that authoritative statement there. To do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Do their work quietly. That means be about the business of the kingdom without causing trouble. You remember the, the passage that where, where Paul says, I command that prayers be offered to kings and rulers and authority? He then follows up by saying, so that we can live a peaceable and quiet life. Pray for the king. If you've seen um, Fiddler on the Roof, right? They ask the rabbi, they try to stump him, and they say, uh, do, you, do you have a, a, a prayer for the, for the czar? And he says, yes, I do have a prayer for the czar. And everybody's like, oh, what's the prayer for the czar? And he says, uh, we pray to God that he blesses the czar and keeps him far, far away. <laughs> right? Let the government, let the kings and the rulers be about their work. Bless them, give them health, and give them no cause to persecute the church so that we can be about our business, the work of doing good in the world and pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we pray for when it comes to quietness in the church. We don't want to silence people. What we do want to do is focus the church on the work that it's hand, that's at hand. We want to fly under the radar of the state and do our work of drawing people to Christ. Peter uses a similar idea in 1 Peter 4.15. He says this, let none of you suffer, as after he's talking about suffering according to the will of God. And you will suffer in the Christian life. You will. There is no life in a fallen world apart from suffering. But this is what Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Wow. That's bad company. 
So the command is to be hard at work, not hardly working. We were talking about a calling this morning in Sunday school, that God has called us into life, that he's called us to follow him, that he has called us to, uh, to embrace being conformed to the image of Christ and that he's called us to serve. But that many of us, this is how we, we were closing off, have to, have to narrow down and nail this concept of who did God create when he created me? What has he called me to? What is my life's purpose? And you can refine and develop that. And then once you know it, be hard at work. By the way, you're going to see this in the weekly update this week. I'll send that sheet to you, and you can work on that a little bit, and we'll talk about it more in Sunday school next week. Um, second point here, we're to be hard at work doing good work. This is going to go quick because I kind of ran a bunch of these points into my first point. Um, so Paul says this, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. God did a great work when he created the world. He created the world perfect and very good. The world falls into sin and God engages a greater work of redemption and salvation, his highest work. He sends Jesus to the cross to stand in the place of sinners so that any sinner who looks to Jesus and says, I need a savior, God gives that sinner the righteousness of Christ, purifying them, making them perfect in his sight so that they may be saved. Their sins are put on Jesus and paid for and they are righteous in God's sight. That's the good news of what Jesus has come to do. We're saved by grace, Ephesians 2 says, through faith, not because of anything that we've done, not by works, not our own works. We're saved by the good works of Jesus, which are credited to us. That's an amazing thing. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is a theme that shows up all over the place. I believe that, that many times Christians who are earnest and honest and want to be faithful to the scriptures, they buy into this idea that because we are not saved by works, that we need not work in the Christian life. I am not talking about salvation here. I am talking about the purpose for which we were made. Let me tell you what, if you put me on permanent vacation and you say, you're good, you don't have to come back, we'll continue to pay you, but you don't gotta preach, write, talk, or meet with people, I will say, I quit and I go find another job. Amen. Because I'm excited about what the work that God has created for me. And you ought to be excited about the work that God has created for you. And we as a church ought to be excited about the mission and the opportunities that God has given us here. And we ought to say, let's work hard at those opportunities. Acts 20, verse 35, Paul says, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Listen, it is good, and do not let me slow you down from contributing to the offering. But that is not what he's talking about here. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That might be like the thing the pastor breaks out right before the offering. Is why we bless? Stick the money in the plate. But that's not what he's talking about. What Jesus is talking about here is saying that we're to work hard and to help the weak. And when we help those who are struggling and who are in need, we are more blessed because we're not receiving, we're giving. And God gives all the time. And we are created in his image. And we've been given vast spiritual resources. And if you look at yourself in comparison to the rest of the world, vast financial resources. Maybe not in comparison to a bunch of other Americans who live a little bit higher on the hog than I do. But compared to the rest of the world, I am a very rich and blessed man. So my mission in life ought to be to say, how do I help others? And how do I work hard at it? In telling a parable about workers, Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. When the master appears, the servant isn't like, been waiting, glad you're finally back. Took a long time. I think the attitude is more like that the servant is hard at work doing the thing that the master left him to do. And the master shows up and he's like, I'm here. And they're like, oh, just finishing this task up. Glad to see you. Thrilled that you're here. Look at what we accomplished. And so here is the encouragement under this point. Embrace the tedium and toil of work and push through it and do the work that you have been called to. The work of your work, your vocation. If you are a plumber, then plumb and plumb to the glory of God. Live out that vocational calling. Do the work of your life, right? The Bible says that he who takes a wife must be concerned about the things of his wife. He who has kids must be concerned about the things of his kids, right? We're, we live in a community as well. We have neighbors. Neighbors are anyone who is in need around us. And when we embrace that work, the work of our life, serving others, Attempting to do those things which are for their good. That is where we find fulfillment. You know what happens? Sometimes you will be shocked at the things which bring you joy. In a moment of, of, of somewhat parental clarity, I was like, you know what? I ought to try to be interested in the things that my kids are interested in. Right? And so I was like, I will sit and I will watch football with my third born. And now I'm like, I have discovered the Green Bay Pack. They're amazing and excellent, you know, and it's good. And I, I didn't set out intending to find that. But many times we find that in serving others and doing hard things, that is where we find joy. Do this as an experiment. Find some task that you don't like doing in your life around your home, at your job in the world in general. And then find someone who needs you to do that for them. 
and do it for them and you will be in a position of helping them, you will feel alive. I guarantee it. Because joy comes from serving. Because that's what we've been created for. Happiness may result temporarily from being served. But as you'll discover, you gotta pay for that, right? You gotta pay to be served. When you're no longer in a position of power, you no longer have any money, the servants will go away. But when you embrace the attitude of a servant, you find joy in serving. That's where our master and Lord found joy. Finally, uh, embrace the work of the church. The work of all of these areas of life is very daily. It's very daily. There are two kinds of work everywhere, I believe. There's the fun stuff, right? There's the stuff that's great, that you enjoy doing about your job, and then there's the tedious stuff, right? In ministry, the fun stuff is leading someone to the Lord. When, when somebody has a light bulb moment and they're like, wow, you said this, and that changed my life in this way. This was helpful. That was, you know, that's, that's, I, you live for moments like that. I love when I, when I feel like if I speak truth right now that that the words that i speak will bring life the bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue what a moment when those moments come it's like yes doing a project well leading successfully that's the fun stuff and then there's all the tedious stuff making coffee washing coffee pots emptying trash cans planning things setting things up tearing things down straightening the chairs planning things, washing dishes after events, planning and showing up for work days. I wake up on work days and I'm not like, <gasps> work day. A lot of times I'm like, I gotta go to a work day. Why do I have to go to a work day? And then I come. Don't grow weary of that stuff. And I'm not talking about just doing the business of the church, but, but planning the outreach thinking through what you're going to say to that person who's struggling at work so that you can encourage them or, or let them know that there's a Jesus to believe in. All of those things, it may be, may be difficult, it may be scary, but it is fulfilling and good. And so Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. So the encouragement is work hard, Harvest Baptist Church. Be kind to those who aren't at work. Look at what he says here in this passage. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. That sounds pretty harsh. But verse 15 says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Admonish the troublemaker. A couple different things you can do here. I like the very low-key strategy. It makes make you feel a little socially awkward, but when someone is saying bad things about somebody else, you start saying good things. That's awkward. Uh, it makes me feel very strange, but I've realized that it only takes like two or three statements and then they realize, oh, he's not playing this game. He's playing his own game. What is that? Um, and then they stop, right? Or you could go right at it and 
and, and appeal directly for a change of heart. And if somebody is causing trouble, you can say, hey, you know what? You're better than this. Or if you're a little more introverted and it's, that's a bit of a risk, you could say things like, I think you might be having a bad day. Are you having a bad day? Right? Let's, let's focus on the positive here. Clarify if something is truly wrong, if, if there's truly a reason why this person has a right to be upset or inactive, and then press for action, for urgent, quick action. And let's find you something to be involved in. Let's move on from, from not doing something to doing something good. Paul would say, I believe, make a note and then create distance. Look, as long as this is your thing and you're just on about this, not being about anything productive, we're just going to create a little bit of distance here. I can't really be part about this. Pointing out the wrong thing, Paul says there, to bring about Holy Spirit Shame. I don't think we're supposed to be like, how dare you, sir? I don't think that's very loving. But we need to, we need, love can be tough at times. We need to remember that we all have bad days, and some of us have bad weeks, right? You might be having a bad decade. <laughs> I know I've had a bad year at times, you know? Somebody has to say, hey, Meyer, you're looking a little fluffy around the edges there. You know, maybe like exercise some self-control. And it's like, oh, OK, I'll do that. Lose a couple pounds, right? We're not the enemy when we, we're not correcting the enemy. We're to correct others as if they are our brothers. We need to say, hey, look, this is not what the family was created for. This is not what the Father would have us do. This is, this is not the purpose for which we're together. That's not a good strategy for life. Why don't, we, why don't we work on that, adjust that? Paul warned people over and over again. He speaks about how he warned them with tears. You can Google this or Bible Gateway it or whatever, Bible app it. That doesn't sound very elegant. I've got four references at least. I'm just going to read one of them. 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians were harsh letters. This is what Paul says. I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. He loves the Corinthians, and so he corrects them. He doesn't correct them to say, you know, uh, P.S., don't ever write me ever again. I am out. And then he vanishes on them, unfriended, right? Deleted, blocked, banned forever. I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He said to them, this is the path, and you're going this way. So come over here. And so when we find someone who's going astray, we don't like put them on a little subsection of the iceberg over here, you know, and like chip it off and send them off away into nothing. That's the way the Eskimos apparently used to get rid of people. Just be like, sail out to sea, troublemaker. Um, we don't do that. We ought not to do that in the church. Instead, we ought to say, this is the way that we're to walk. Let's remain together. And so we admonish those who cause trouble in love. 
And in large part, this should never really become a public thing in the church. It should happen privately. Finally, we're to be hard at work with him. Hard at work at his work. Paul says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. He echoes what he said at the beginning of the letter to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. The good news, the gospel message is this, that God is a God of peace who gives peace with himself by his goodwill and calls us to be ambassadors of his peace in the world. That is the work which we ought to be about. Peace is a person and a gift from God. And so we need to understand that we have been brought into this marvelous relationship. If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. And now our mission is to give that peace to others by telling them about Jesus. And here is the promise that the Lord will be with us in this work, in his work. Paul signs off. I write this greeting with my own hand. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. As we consider the fact that we have no idea where our country is going politically, ethically, societally, the world is a scary place to live right now. I think we look at the fact that the king will return. We can have great hope and confidence that he will come and collect his church. And that in the meantime, that God will be with us and give us peace. And so we ought to be hard at work doing the work that he's given us as a church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to share this word from your word. We pray your grace and your blessing on all that we've heard. May we take it to heart and work hard at it. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this church. I thank you that we live in a time of peace here, Father. And I thank you that, that some of how to apply some of these things just feels so alien because we are at peace. We pray that you would preserve us from division and from factions and that you would direct us, nourish us, feed us on your grace so richly that we would then explode out into the world with love and humility and a desire to serve, a desire to share, a desire to do good that you might be seen as good that the church might be seen as something that produces value in the world and that many would be drawn to you and that you would be glorified and seen as who you are, a wonderful Savior, a glorious God, one who brings peace. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.